Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. Zero Brightness. So, today we're talking about Silent Hill 2. And I think the topic at hand overall is kind of, does it hold up? Yeah. Is it is it genius or is it completely stupid? <laughs> it's all over the place, but I mean, I we both agree that like the themes are like really cool, um, interesting stuff that games just don't tackle. But you know, in terms of it being a game and their budget and their voice acting crew, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, does it really hold up as something that's great? Flawed masterpiece or? Um, just antique (laughs) right well and I think too it's always been a game that it rides the line in every way so obviously in the gameplay there's some really forward thinking stuff and then there's also some super antiquated stuff Uh, right and then with the plot and the themes it's exactly the same there's some stuff that feels just as fresh as the day it came out and maybe even more prescient and then there's other stuff that just feels super clunky and poorly done. Right. Um, I think that the the dichotomy to me was always expressed well by uh, this guy I knew in high school named Jesse. Uh, <laughs> shout out Jesse. <laughs> shout out Jesse. Uh, Jesse was a really fucking weird dude. Like Jesse was the kind of dude who was like super smart, but was in all like remedial and like special education classes just because he didn't want to do work. Um, (laughs) If that makes any sense. Uh, Yeah. And like Jesse had written a gigantic fucking essay about Silent Hill 2 and posted it on game (laughs) FAQs and was like obsessed with analyzing Silent Hill 2 and trying to tease out the true meaning of Silent Hill 2. And (laughs) For some shout out game facts. <laughs> shout out game facts. And for some reason, the fact that he was so into it and had put all that work in and had thought about it so much made me never, ever, ever want to talk to him about Silent Hill 2. And <laughs> beyond one brief conversation, I never ever did. Well, I mean, was it <clears throat> was it deep Silent Hill 2 theory or was it Silent Hill UFO conspiracy theory? It was just like plot breakdowns. <laughs> oh, okay. And I guess that's what I mean is like, well, and you know, we'll get into it, but I think this game just is so bizarre in the way that it has this super dopey ass plot, but then like some of the themes and the overall <laughs> mood and vibe are just like incredible and maybe, yeah. maybe unparalleled. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like if, if it was a movie and someone like David Lynch directed it, it would have been genius. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There's just such... I, I have so many uh, different feelings about it. Yeah, so let's, let's jump into it. A little bit of background on Silent Hill 2. So Silent Hill 2 obviously is a sequel to the original Silent Hill for the PS1. Um... It was a a big departure in every way. Um, The conditions it was made under were very different. Uh, Mm -hmm. Team Silent was originally put together as 
like a little underdog ragtag group of people who didn't fit in at Konami and were basically tasked to make a game that would succeed in the West under extreme duress. Like they had no staff, they had no resources, they had, you know, little <laughs> to no support. Uh which resulted in some really funny stuff like them just basing uh the map of the school off of kindergarten cop and <laughs> them just sneaking in weird references to Sonic Youth, which uh yeah. James found and sent to me. Yeah, that's really cool. All the teachers in the elementary school are the four members of Sonic Youth, essentially. Yeah. And so it's got this like underdog ragtag vibe and it is kind of stitched together. I mean, I love the original Silent Hill, but it's yeah. rough in pretty much every way. Um, it's super rough. But yeah. the, the, the DNA carries over to the second one. Right. So with Silent Hill 2, they had more budget. They had more support. Um, they had already made a hit and were now tasked with just making a bigger, better hit game. Uh, the other thing, too, is that, I mean, Silent Hill 2 came out a year into the PS2's life. So it obviously wasn't a launch title, but it was still early days. It was right around when PS2 was starting to pick up steam. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that the PS2's launch was really bad. Uh, not in terms of sales, but in terms of just the optics and the launch lineup were terrible. Yeah, for the first few weeks, there were very few games. I think I think the launch games were, I don't Tekken Tag Tournament, I believe. I think I got that. I think because I, I think I got a PlayStation on launch day and I went home with Tekken Tag. Yeah. And there was like Oni and uh, some other <laughs> weird games like that. Um, yeah, like I remember I got a, I actually got a GameCube, uh, mm. was like my launch, you know, console I bought at launch. And I remember feeling like it was a way better pick at that time because the yeah. PS2 games were just not well, really I mean, there. people were buying PS2s because it was a DVD player. Yeah. It was like the cheapest DVD player you could get. Mm-hmm. And it also played PlayStation games. So, right. Um, but so Silent Hill 2 coming out, you know when things were still a little shaky was a big deal because a lot of people were interested in picking it up. There was a much wider audience than if it had come out late in life, which, you know, pretty much all the horror games that came out late in the PS2's life were flops. Mm-hmm. Um, partially just because it's a niche genre and partially because people had already kind of moved on. Resident Evil 4 had sort of, uh, you know, pissed in the punch bowl at that particular party. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah, so it it had a lot going for it, and it had a lot behind it. Um, And, you know, it allowed the developers to explore some new ideas, try new things, and incorporate a lot more of their influences more openly and freely, you know, into the game. Yeah, for sure. We should talk about that, because that's one of the things about Silent Hill in general that is the most fascinating to me. As a kid, my first impression was Hellraiser. Of course, right? Right. Um, the world turns into like meaty hallways, etc. Yeah. Uh, but as an adult with a useless art degree, the first thing thing I think of are Francis Bacon's paintings. Oh yeah. Um, and which is also a, a huge inspiration to David Lynch. So the connection between David Lynch and Francis Bacon and Silent Hill is like probably the biggest visual thing to me. I would agree with that. Um. Yeah, and it, especially I think there's, you know, a lot of 
along with that, a lot of other kind of visual art things that are kind of obvious. So people don't bring it up a lot, but it is mm-hmm. worth mentioning like Geiger, um, you know, sure. Definitely the Hellraiser movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's all sorts of kind of like grotesque surreal art that I think plays into Silent Hill because it is just like the grotesque surreal visual style, you know, mm-hmm. but it's also very Japanese. So it's got a bit of uh it's got heavy uh, Junji Ito vibes, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a couple things that I think are interesting about Silent Hill that don't get talked about. And one of them to me is always the the Ito influence. Like, if you read Uzumaki, there's no way that you can't just see Silent Hill in that, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. or any of like the earlier short stories that kind of would eventually influence stories like Gyo and Uzumaki. They have a lot of similarities, like these cursed small towns, the sirens, the transformation. Although in Ito, it's usually more of a gradual transformation um into the like a hell world whereas in silent hill it's more of like a a sudden plane shift it's our direction is inherently more american right which was uh you know purposeful on the part of konami directing the developers you know Mm -hmm. because they you know originally silent hills conceived as a game that would be successful in the west or that was the goal right and i I think that's one of the things also it's, you know, Silent Hill is such a weird chimera and that's such an interesting thing that happened where Konami told these people make something that's popular in the West. And so they took the weirdest fucking influences that they pot <laughs> like Francis Bacon and Twin Peaks and Jacob's Ladder, yeah. which is yeah. like Jacob's Ladder and Twin Peaks are the, the two huge fucking influences on Silent Hill. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I we'll get into it when we talk about the characters, but um, I couldn't stop thinking about Twin Peaks and playing it. Yeah, well, totally. And, you know, as with both of those influences, I mean, there are things that the game just lifts, you know, <laughs> I think Silent Hill 2 maybe has a little bit less of the straight lifts from Twin Peaks, uh, but it definitely still has the straight lifts from Jacob Ladder because all the original four four games do. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I guess just to clarify, I guess if you're not familiar with any of the stuff we're talking about, Junji Ito is a famous Japanese manga artist who made a whole oeuvre of fucking amazing uh, horror manga that you should definitely go read. Uzumaki is probably the best place to start. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a novel of his. And Jacob's Ladder is, you know, was it late 80s, early 90s? Uh, I feel like it's very early 90s. Very early. 91. Yeah, very early 90s surreal horror movie. It's basically about a... Uh, yeah. It's basically about like a veteran coming home from war and having this insane, surreal, hellish experience where he kind of is falling through different planes of existence and all this weird shit is happening and... Yeah, if you played Silent Hill first and then watched Jacob's Ladder, it's going to fucking blow your mind. It's <laughs> just like, holy shit. Also, full disclosure, I've never seen any of the Silent Hill movies. I purposefully avoid video game movies. Mm. I like the first one, actually. We did. So I I co-host and engineer another podcast called Demon Daddies. And we did an episode about Silent Hill that was half about 
kind of a series overview of the games and then half about the first Silent Hill movie. Um, I like that movie a lot, actually. Uh, I'll have to give it a shot. It's not, you know, it's not like anything <laughs> where it's not Tarkovsky. It's not fucking Jacob's Ladder, but it, <laughs> it's a good movie. And it's it's actually really respectful to the source material, like mm-hmm. as much as it can be. Um, and it actually fits like, like I remember watching it with some friends of mine. It came out when I was, I think, late high school. Uh, I want to say and like mm. I remember watching it with some friends and afterwards them being like okay I actually kind of get the <laughs> Silent Hill like multi-world thing yeah because in the games the other world is a little bit confusing <laughs> um, whereas in the movie they actually very explicitly show you like how there's three layers like three or four layers to it oh weird yeah I don't know if I like things explaining things well, it's not like it's not like a text dump or like yeah. uh, expositional dialogue or something, but they actually it's just, not like a Scooby Doo cartoon. No, it's not like that. There's just <laughs> a few scenes where it actually explains just by showing you kind of how the mm. metaphysics of the Silent Hill Otherworld works. Right. And I actually thought it was really well done and really cool. Um, the second movie is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always thought like the atmospheric storytelling in Silent Hill was really good. Um, mm-hmm. so it's interesting to hear that the movie sort of does it in a different way. Right. Like it's got cheesy action sequences. Uh, it's has over the top moments. Uh, but I don't know. I like it and you know, maybe I'm just being a dork and I like it, <laughs> but yeah, I think it has some merit. Uh, well, one movie I did want to quickly mention, uh, as a reference, which I've never seen it linked to Silent Hill at all, but I think. Um, just because I'm a big fan of the movie, that the links between it and Silent Hill are kind of like unignorable at this point. Uh, Heart of Glass by Werner Herzog. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a German film about a town. Um, the the town's major industry is making this ruby glass, and the only man in town that knows the formula dies. And the town, the entire town, sort of like psychosphere falls into disarray. And the interesting thing about the film is that all the actors are hypnotized um, during their entire performances. And so they act really weird and dreamy. And it sort of reminds me of the incredibly bad voice acting in Silent Hill 2. Like you could read it as really bad or you could read it as like they're everybody's acting just like really fucking strange. Yeah. And there's this sort of like like uh psychic ill over the town just like dragging everyone down it's a really cool film yeah very strange i've never seen that but that sounds awesome and i love i love herzog so yeah it's 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 definitely like one of my top three favorite herzog films i i think there's two interesting points that you got to there one is that there are a lot of influences you can link to silent hill that I've never been or rarely been explicitly linked to the game and never been discussed by the developers. And I think that is kind of fascinating to me because this game reached so far outside of video games and tried to do something so different that the press at the time really didn't know what to do with it. So like video game press in Japan or America or anywhere. I mean, nobody was going to be like, hmm, so let me talk to you about Werner Herzog, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> Game Pro was not like Game the, Pro is not going to go into the deep Francis Bacon um, <laughs> lore or anything. No, yeah, yeah. Game Pro wasn't like top ten art house films that influenced Silent Hill too. You know. <laughs> Like the best you could get was maybe like a tossed off Twin Peaks reference in the review. Yeah, Um, I guess. Yeah. And like, it's so interesting to look back at it now. And it's, it's something that's consistent throughout the whole series. I mean, it's with the tone, with the story, the influences, the music. I mean, the first time I played Silent Hill three, I was blown away because first of all, it had a fucking theme song. And second of all, it's like a blondie meets Bauhaus, like post-punk song. Yeah. I mean, a couple of the songs in part two sound uh, like seriously like Portishead style. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like so the music in Silent Hill, the whole series is the best music of all time. And <laughs> I'm not even probably going to put any of it in here because I made so much fake knockoff Akira Yamaoka music like for this. Bless podcast. your soul. Yeah. I was telling you the other day, I made so much of it that I forgot I made some of it and then found it. The other day and was like oh here's like four more songs i feel like when you finally unleash your yamaoka core band on humanity that's like when you're gonna really find your place in the universe <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah so like even with that like when i first played silent hill three i mean i was a teenager and i was super into post-punk and i was losing my mind i was like this is the coolest shit ever and like no mention was made of it in the press at all. This goes back to my long-running theme in this, that gamers are cultureless trash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm an edgelord on, like, every fucking episode, Ollie. No, no, this but. is not edgelord. Well, this is interesting because I've actually heard more discussion of this recently, but I've said this forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, which is that... Uh, the whole our games art conversation arose in the first place, not because games were simplistic or games weren't artistic or anything like that. It arose because games evolved to have an enthusiast press rather than a critical press. The writing about games was meant to be product reviews, product previews, and just like blurbs instead of actual critique. Right. Which is sad. And I think it's starting to come out with things like podcasting, I guess, because enthusiasts, I mean, I don't know. It's not people's jobs. So they like talk about what they're really interested in. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of great video game podcasts that actually dig into this stuff. But in terms of the journalism, I mean, maybe one or two people like Kotaku. Uh, I don't know. I think it's gotten a lot better. Like if you remember, you know, probably like 10 years ago, new games journalism happened, which was like pretty derided at the time but now has just sort of become the default for games journalism and not to say it's Mm -hmm. perfect but i mean yeah like if you look at an outlet like you know kotaku or you know polygon or any of these places i mean the writing is personal it's a little more diaristic it dives into people's insights and it then you look at something like ign which is really one of the last traditional enthusiast gaming outlets and it's garbage and people hate it i mean (laughs) well they don't even play the games at the time yeah and they get roasted for it and even when they do their insights oh quote-unquote insights into the game are fucking terrible like yeah i don't like feeling like like gamer trash is being like reviews are terrible but ign is the one place that makes (laughs) me feel that way where i'm just like oh my god dude and it's also because i have a back a slight background in journalism like 
Yeah. I worked in journalism for years. I had professional journalism jobs. And so like mm-hmm. I know about writing and editing. I know about doing product reviews and all that right. kind of shit. And it's just like, bro, like, yeah, that's not how you do it. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I used to freelance for our local rag too, our local indie rag, the San Antonio current. Mm hmm. There's so much emphasis on fake news nowadays. Like, you're not even going to fucking play the shit you're talking about. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> right. Well, it's even just as an editor, it's kind of crazy that, like, your editor wouldn't just look at that and say, hey, you need to fix this or you need to fact check this or whatever. And it's also, like, I think that there's, it, it's evolved so much where, you know, like, I like what Kotaku does. I mean, I like Kotaku a lot overall, but I like how they, in the reviews, have put like this is how much i played this is how i played it this is right what i did and it's interesting because sometimes it does get them into trouble and people freak out at them about stuff but it gives you context right absolutely and it lets you know how invested the person was you know what they thought of the experience or how they got to that point of thinking about the experience when i think back to the original like enthusiast gaming press that would have been around in 2001 when silent hill 2 was released Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so sad because they did this game so dirty. I mean, they gave it good reviews and <laughs> yeah, it did get good reviews. Um, but they're just not insightful at all, and they don't dive into yeah. what makes. You know what I mean? It's like if you broke down this game into categories, and you're like the graphics, the combat, blah blah. blah. It's like <laughs> right. Well, it's like it's like talking about 2001 as as like a space adventure movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Totally. So, yeah. Game criticism isn't like film criticism. Uh, which is sort of sad. Well, there's so few games you can kind of like pull apart like this, though. I mean, we I pulled mean, apart Soma yeah. last episode, yeah. but you know how often are games kind of dense like this? I think that for me, my I guess like critical or artistic appreciation of games kind of came from just looking at them as their own medium, and so you find certain games where the things about it that seem simplistic or ugly or what or whatever actually become really intriguing um Mm -hmm. i think the best example of that is games like dark souls or games like destiny where the creators have actually like hidden all the lore and the story in the items yeah right like that's such a weird thing that you could only do in video games and it's not unprecedented i mean when you go back into history and look at older games you're like oh wait there's a whole world kind of hidden inside right this game or there's environmental details environmental storytelling i mean this stuff has been around longer than people think so mm-hmm. i think there, there's definitely something you said for going back and looking at older games critically and and people are now uh, i mean to that point actually one of the things i was going to say is uh uh one reference that i've only ever heard made to silent hill to once and i actually <laughs> did the research i was like is this the only time it's happened was there's a youtube channel called ragnarok's um, mm-hmm. that's like this dude who does these video essays. A lot of them are about horror games, but it's not strictly about horror games. And he has a really good essay where he parallels Solaris, the Tarkovsky yeah. movie and Silent mm-hmm. Hill too. And it fucking blew my mind. Cause like I've seen Solaris multiple times. I've played Silent Hill two multiple times and like, I never put them together just cause the context is really different, but the actual right. story beats yeah. and plot are like exactly the same. It, it makes a lot of sense. And it's just like, it's just kind of, yeah, it's interesting. And now people are going back and picking those things apart. So yeah, like, like Heart of Glass and Silent Hill, that's a big parallel. I mean, <laughs> and even just bringing up Herzog, 
which yeah. I hadn't thought of until I looked at your notes. And it's like, fuck, you could compare a lot of Herzog atmosphere to Silent yeah. Hill. Yeah. To me, that's always going to be the, the real strength of Silent Hill is the atmosphere, the aesthetics, the mood it creates. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. returning to Silent Hill 2, especially all these years later. I mean, I thought of Jesse, the guy from high school. <laughs> mostly because like that sort of game faction plot yeah. breakdown just seems so fucking antiquated you it know it doesn't work yeah but then when i think about the mood and it was like holy shit like this feels like so current i i feel like you could sum up the entire plot in two sentences hey let's do let's do it dude you let's do it you could do it okay uh James goes to Silent Hill looking for his dead wife, um, meets a wacky cast of characters, uh, and goes to the special place that his wife wrote about in his letter, in her letter to him. God damn it. I ruined it. Anyways. (laughs) All right. Maybe more than two sentences. All right. He gets a letter from his dead wife. He goes to Silent Hill looking for her. He goes to the hotel where they stayed. And realizes that he killed her. End of game. Yeah. And bad ending, he dies, which is the best ending. Yeah. <laughs> we can get into, like, all the other pieces of it, but that's about it. Like, full disclosure, I played the game last week. I beat it in a day. It's five and a half hours long. It's super quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be done with it. You should just play through it. It's it's not hard. Um, right. It's it's just a fun little journey. It's like watching a miniseries or something. Right. And I think what stands out to me every time I've replayed it is that the first time you play it, you are thinking about the plot. Because ultimately, if something presents a story, you're just going to take it on face. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what we've also realized over time about gaming's not just that, you know, games journalism used to be garbage, but also that, you know, games as a storytelling medium are very weird. Like it's a weird medium to tell a story. Sure. So you have to adapt it or you have to try different things. Like it's an, it's a great medium for interaction, you know, to create interactions with a player. But then when a story becomes involved, it needs to be adapted. Things need to be different. Um, when you, so when you first time you play through, Silent Hill 2, you're focusing on the story, and it's so simplistic. Like you said, mm-hmm. guy gets a letter from his dead wife, goes to a place she tells him to, meets some weird, wacky characters, <laughs> finds out that she's been dead the whole time, kills himself. Right. That's the, the pl- end. The end. But when you play through it, you start to look at the other characters, the details of their lives, and the things that they show you and don't show you. And you right. suddenly can extrapolate out the entire like canon of what's going on with these people and what's going on with Silent Hill. Because right. Silent Hill 2 is interesting in the sense that it totally flips the script on what Silent Hill is. Because mm. like a, another big parallel to Twin Peaks is that there's a central mystery that isn't ever actually explained or fully explored. Yeah, it, it's it's barely addressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might find some notes about the weird history of Twin Peaks, and there's some pictures on the wall at the Historic Society that are sort of questionable, but it's it's never like actively engaged as like the big mystery, which is super interesting. 
which is very dark soulsy oh where yeah you want to dive into the lore yeah for sure like in silent hill minneapolis is like gray there's ice everywhere but it's raining mm. uh you can't walk anywhere like you just can't walk um i'm in silent hill i kind of long to be somewhere inhospitable <laughs> well let me introduce you to a place called minneapolis <laughs> it's awful maybe um, i'll Spend next winter in a shack in the woods. You'd die, but um, you could just <laughs> stay in a normal house and be miserable because you'll be fucking miserable. Yeah, I mean, like, it sounds great. <laughs> you get <laughs> real cabin fever. Like, I, I, I love it. Yeah, you go nuts. Like, even like we were talking about it with just like work environments because you can't go outside. And so you're mm. just like, I want to go outside and just hang out for like a minute. <laughs> and you can't. <laughs> yeah. And it starts to like consume you. Like you actually lose your mind because you're just like, all I want to do is go outside. I just want to go outside. The highways are flooding now too. Winter Wonderland. Yeah. And it's all gray and brown. It just looks like piss and shit everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It is, it is like impressively bad here right now. I mean, just, just give me a Sega Genesis and like 30 games and a winter. (laughs) You could live in my practice space. It has a Sega Genesis. I feel like my soul needs that. (laughs) If you want it, well, it has has an N64 and a Sega Genesis. Perfect. Any I'll, I'll bring mischief makers. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. That's like my favorite N64 game, probably. <laughs> it's so weird. You can keep your fucking Majora's mask. I got my copy of Mischief Makers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. I agree with that, with that comment. Oh, man. Fuck. That's a hot take. Yeah. I mean, I do love Majora's mask, too, but also Mischief Makers is better. Didn't one of the developers of Majora's Mask directly cite Twin Peaks as an influence? Yeah. Um, they're, all the weird side Zelda games are influenced by Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. Oh, Link's Awakening? Yep. Yeah. The best Zelda game, uh, Link's Awakening. Questionably. <laughs> I mean, it's it's my favorite. When they Is announced it? that remake, I fucking flipped. I, I think you have to separate 2D Zeldas and 3D Zeldas. So I would say... Link to the Past and Wind Waker. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to. I agree that they should be separated. It's also really hard to argue with Link to the Past. Um. I don't yeah. know why. I just love Link's Awakening. Like, it it's just, good. It, it's a shorter experience. It's yeah. got a little more like puzzly item management kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's only two buttons, though, so you have to keep going into the little menu to keep doing things, which is super annoying. I know. It does suck, even though I am used to it, uh, because I have actually... I used to beat that game at least once a year, every year. Hmm. Um, like, every fall, I would play Link's Awakening. Uh, it was like my back-to-school thing. Uh, uh, and so I've probably... And then, as an adult, I've beat it a bunch of times, too, so I've probably beaten that game, like, 15 times. Nice. Uh, but 
that doesn't make me not excited for the Switch remake where you don't have to do that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it, it looks super cute. Yeah, it looks adorable. I was, like, losing my mind the day that came out, <laughs> which, like, never happens. Like, I don't ever get, like, that excited over stuff. I'm just glad it's not going to take another decade to get a Zelda game. Yeah. Like with the other influences we discussed, I mean, they're so on face, but they're also just so well integrated into the game. And Mm -hmm. it's really, I think now it's an even more fascinating game to play just because you can sort of pinpoint these influences and see what they were drawing from. Um, One that the developers have actually stated uh, that I didn't know about before was Crime and Punishment. Oh, yeah. I tried reading that once. (laughs) Uh, I love Russian lit. I'm like a big, big, big Russian lit person. Yeah. Um, And so I fucking love crime and punishment. And yeah, it's once again, though, it's the same as Solaris where it's like, you know, for me, I would never draw that parallel. Maybe someone else would, Mm. but I would never draw that parallel. But then once it's drawn, you're just like, oh, my God, (laughs) you know, like. It's so fascinating. I mean, the, you know, because everyone knows the gist or most people know the gist of the story, which mm-hmm. is basically this guy who's this kind of very intense, overly philosophical human uh, who is trying to sort of figure out like what is sort of the nature and meaning of justice after he commits like a really heinous murder, um, mm-hmm. which he believes is politically justified. Uh, and then the whole book is him trying to tease that apart and sort of slowly going insane. And so once again, you compare that to Silent Hill too, and it's like, yeah, oh shit, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I love this now and I'm sure too, it's, it's one of the great things about this game is as time goes on, more of these things are going to pop up. People are going to draw more parallels or find more influences and, I think if you're interested in those influences or any of that stuff is interesting to you, it's just going to make the game better and more fun to play. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe let's talk a little bit about nuts and bolts stuff as well Mm. uh, in the discussion of does Silent Hill 2 hold up today? Actually, when we replayed Silent Hill 2, I loaded my like system file and it had all my settings the way I liked it. So when I first picked it up, I was like, wow, this is incredible. It's so smooth. The controls are good. Like, wow, you know. And then I realized it was because I had done all the like setting extreme settings fuckery. Oh, were you doing the PC version? No, I wasn't. I, the, wow. I'm talking about the like one of the things about this game that is incredible. That's forward thinking, like so forward thinking that I still don't think most console games do it is that it gives you a ton of options mm. like control options, a few graphics options, um, sound options like it really lets you tweak the game in a way that I can't really think of many other console games that actually let you do that. Interesting. And it really makes the game play so much better. Hmm. Um, you played the PC version, right? Yeah, I played a super modded out PC version. There's there's a there wiki online that with at least three pages of instructions on how to install a bunch of mods. And it's pretty great. I mean, visually, it's 
I mean, it's clearly aged, mm-hmm. but um, in terms of upscaling and widescreen resolution, it looked pretty great. And this is the original PC port mod. Yeah, like the 2002 or 2001 PC port. That's a big distinction because there yeah. were the more recent terrible like HD remasters. HD remakes. Yeah. yeah, those weren't for PC though. I think they were for PS3 and 360. Right. The problem was the third-party developer was porting those, and it turned out that the code they got from Konami for Silent Hill 2 was a beta version. Right. And so it was just super buggy, and it turns out that Konami lost the source code for the original Silent Hill 2 release. Right. Uh, There is another really good YouTube video about this there's a channel called the great debate g-r-a-t-e um they just have a bunch of videos about like silent hill the history of silent hill and all that sort of stuff mostly focusing on the later years fiascos like you know pt getting canceled and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and they have a video about this dude named tom hewlett who was like the producer of the hd remasters and he's just hated like viciously hated or was viciously hated by Silent Hill fans to the point where it was like a proto Gamergate type of situation where they were just like going after him and making his life hell. And yeah, they actually got into that, that the the source code they were given was an older build because they didn't have the original source code. And it was apparently at the time, like especially amongst Japanese developers, it was common to just not save or archive source code. Like game was done, you just toss it. And that's, that's crazy. It is crazy. And what's even crazier is part of the reasoning behind that was sort of like they didn't want competitors to rip off their features or or <laughs> ideas. So it was like almost like an anti idea piracy or like anti um, uh, intellectual property theft. move. Yeah. But it, so it's strange. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, for for archival and historical purposes, it's just bonkers. Right. But I guess no one really cared. No, no one really saw it as, you know, something worth archiving back then. Right. I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of a big theme of this episode is, and one of the reasons I'm fascinated with analyzing games or, you know, taking apart games is that they're a young medium, meaning that people only realize that there may be artistic and historical significance in these things pretty recently, or at least that viewpoint only became popular pretty recently. Right. Well, I mean, GTA five outsold any other entertainment medium ever. Right. And that was 2015, 2016. Right. So, Yeah. And so when people look back, you know, so we're looking back at this, you know, gaming press and saying, uh, look at all these fucking idiots. And, you know, people are looking back at Konami and saying, ah, look at these fucking idiots. They threw away the source right. code on ship. It's like it at that time. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, you know, a lot of people would have just looked at this as a toy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like in some way, this crazy, weird, fucked up, you know, artistic expression was just like, eh, it's a toy. You know, I mean, video game consoles are still considered toy toys to like the FCC or something like that. Right. I heard that um, a lot of the reasons why Xboxes had like the Red Ring of Death, etc., was that um, since they were 
marketed as toys, they had to have a certain level of lead in them. So the solder was all garbage inside. Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So the solder joints just burn up at a certain temperature and then your Xbox uh, dies and you can't play Halo anymore or whatever. Oh, they were using like the safe solder, the like lead free solder. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That shit's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you, dude, you need the toxic shit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the the kind of stuff that gives you cancer in California. Oh, no yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if you get sun every day, you get cancer from this. Yeah. That's why I'm going to live forever. I'm in this fucking dark trash pit. <laughs> <laughs> the way that you played it sounds amazing. It's worth the effort. And you can't buy the game legitimately anymore. So just fucking pirate that shit. Fuck Konami. Like, they don't even sell it. Just get it. 100% fuck Konami. Um, <laughs> I've actually, I've been waiting years for them to come back around not to making games, but to realizing there's money in games so that they would reissue like Silent Hill 1 and like all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And a few years ago, maybe a couple years ago, they put out a statement that was like, we're refocusing on games and they still haven't done anything. They're just doing terrible shit like Metal Gear Survive and Pachinko Machines and stuff. And <laughs> they really should just sell their intellectual properties because they, they, they hold the IP rights to all the Hudson Soft games too. Oh, that's crazy. So it's it's just an absolute travesty that they're holding on to all these legendary IPs when somebody that like gives a shit could really do great things with them. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. Even if they were just like, we're going to put all this stuff out again. I mean, honestly, even if they did a fucking terrible set top box like the PlayStation Classic or something that was just <laughs> konami games from different eras i'd probably buy one if it had enough cool shit on it you know what i mean like yeah just give me something like right now it's just all it's locked in the the disney vault you know well they need to get a third party to just release all the stuff on the nintendo switch shop or something digitally yeah totally just all their playstation games well, I guess, I, I mean, I don't have any hope of them, like, doing anything halfway decent like that. I imagine it'll be, like, a, a terrible set-top box. It's <laughs> something that's just inconvenient and horrible because Konami is so terrible. Yeah, well, there's all these, you know, third-party game, uh, third-party companies, like, re-releasing all the Neo Geo shit all the time. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that, you know. They need to come up with some sort of licensing. Yeah, and I mean, they're doing a pretty good job of that. Like some and Sega um, does really good like reissue archival stuff. Yeah, I mean Sega is a great publisher, especially in terms of PC gaming. PC gaming right now, they're putting out a bunch of great shit. Oh yeah, yeah, and they've shifted the focus to that a little bit. So at least like mm-hmm. all the newer Yakuza stuff is coming to PC. Um, yeah, which is have awesome. You played, have you played Yakuza Zero? Uh, no, not yet. It's um, so fucking good, especially since you're a, sort of a Japan weeb like me. You oh, would yeah. absolutely love it. I'm going to that neighborhood that it's based on, and I'm oh, like really fucking excited. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was a huge fan of the first two Yakuza games for PS2. I never um, played them. Oh, man. Those yeah. were like some of the last before like I kind of took a gaming break for a while those were some of the last two games that i got super into Mm. um and like i love those games and then i just didn't keep up with the series and then apparently you know later read online like there's all this kind of like people think they're shitty and blah blah blah. and then yeah yakuza zero kind of restarted the series and they're doing the kiwami 
yeah re-releases which is really cool all those are coming to pc um Mm -hmm. yeah i've got kiwami i just haven't launched it yet i'm excited to dive into that but i i'm you know i'm just not there right now yeah for sure (laughs) basically (laughs) my play game playing habits over the last you know few months or whatever have been uh breath of the wild Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then something else that i'm into on pc (laughs) and then yeah now that we're doing this, stuff for the show. So Yeah, I've, I've played a bunch of games for the show. Yeah, which has been awesome. Really, Me really and Lacey fun. were playing the new Toe Jam and Earl last week. That was fun. <laughs> Is it good? Yeah, well, I mean, if you like the original, it's 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 everything you want. Nice. And uh, Toe Jam and Earl have, like, girlfriends now. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's like Letitia and LaShondra. <laughs> so I was like Earl and she was like Letitia. That's awesome. Is the music still good? Yeah, a, a lot of the songs are the same, nice. but like with real instruments and uh, uh, all, all, a lot of the uh, li- little side characters, all the humans you meet, they're all really funny. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I love, oh fuck, I love Toe Jam and Earl. That music is incredible. It's so 90s. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's squiggly synth noises. Uh, <laughs> give it to me all day. That's a, that's like another thing too. I mean, once again, I feel like Silent Hill was <laughs> one of those annoying kids who comments on YouTube that they were born in the wrong generation. <laughs> but like it actually was. Because uh, like I had the original PC port of Silent Hill 4 and... Mm-hmm. It was bad, um, and all of them were bad. They were very, very, very bad. Um, (laughs) But they're the kind of PC ports that it's cool that the company did it, and fans could jump in and optimize it, but that just wasn't as much of a thing back then, you know? Whereas, like, now, of course it is. I mean, like, I'm playing um, Near Automata right now, and, like, that's a game... Square Enix. Yeah. Well, so I was waiting for that game just for the price to go down. Mm-hmm. And then they finally did the like game of the year thing and dropped yeah. money off of it. And so like I bought that game, but it's funny because I researched it first and yeah. it's just like you have to download. There's basically a day one fan patch you have to download. <laughs> They've never patched it once. Nope. And I don't know if it's Platinum Games to blame or Square Enix to blame. But someone needs to patch the fucking game. I couldn't even get through the the introduction without the game crashing. Oh, really? And so I had to play through that intro like four times. Oh, that intro and is I, brutal. It's 45 yeah, minutes long. It doesn't let you save the whole time. Yeah. And so, you know, like after the third or fourth time, I hit the Steam forums and I was like, WTF. And, yeah. Uh, figured out some fucking nerd had to patch it for everyone. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, like I said, I did the research and I just got that patch like the minute the download on the game finished I downloaded and installed the patch and yeah. I haven't had a single issue runs great, no crashes but it's just funny because that's just how PC gaming is now where there are games that are not playable without a fan patch and the Silent Hill PC ports were absolutely not playable mm-hmm. originally I mean, I guess maybe under the right circumstances they could have been playable at a basic level but like they look terrible. They ran terrible. Uh, <laughs> man, it was is dark shit. But yeah, I've never, I haven't looked into like you know the sort of CD aftermarket versions of these. I'd love to replay all these um, with like optimized PC ports. 
Yeah, you can't. You just can't get them. I mean, unless yeah. you go on eBay or something. But yeah, I mean, yeah. my computer doesn't even have a disk drive. So. Yeah, how are you going to load the data off the four discs that Silent Hill Four <laughs> PC version was? Exactly. <laughs> that was like a real head scratcher for me. I love that shit though. I miss like multi disc game sets. Yeah, they had the tall like paper kind of fold out cases. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, my copy uh-huh. of Silent or of uh, Final Fantasy Seven was in one of those. Um, I Final played Final Fantasy Seven, Seven that, on the PC. That was a terrible yeah. port. They had that trapezoid box. Yeah, all yeah. the IDOS games that trapezoid boxes. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, such bad PC ports. Holy shit. The fucking using Bleem as an emulator on PlayStation discs worked better <laughs> than the PC ports. I know because I did both. I remember seeing Bleem at like Radio Shack. Yeah, dude. I was fired up about Bleem. <laughs> Bleemcast? Oh, yeah, man. I didn't have that one, but I, I had the PlayStation one. Yeah? I played, uh, I played all the Square Enix games that way until... I think I said, I said that in an earlier episode that like... Probably around 2000, 2001, one of my, like when the PSG came out, one of my friends just gave me his old PlayStation um, because they were like immediately devalued. Yeah. Uh, He just gave me his old PlayStation and a PS1 controller. And like uh, before that, I did not have a PlayStation. So I had PC ports and emulators. Wow. But legal emulators, well, quasi legal emulators. Yeah, I think Bleem got, like, destroyed in litigation. Yeah, there's actually... Eventually. I read a really good, like, uh, article about that. That was, like, an oral history of Bleem. That was really interesting. (laughs) Basically, what happened was they, uh, yeah, they got sued six ways from Sunday. But ultimately, they actually won, kind of. But... Sony's strategy was just to keep them tied up and bleed them dry. Yeah, and that's what they did. Ultimately, it's a downer because basically the the evil corporation won more or less because they used like crafty strategy, even though the law was right. on the underdog side. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that <laughs> the world is terrible and unfair. Anyway, uh, I've I've only ever played the just the vanilla ps2 version of this game i think the greatest hits version had uh some extra stuff yeah there's the born from a wish um mm-hmm. side story which i have played that um okay on the actually i played the xbox port <laughs> shit do you i think there's a In your theme. gamer chair drinking a monster there's a theme developing here that like I've only ever played things in the most weird, bizarre way, and I never just had the normal console. Because <laughs> yeah. okay, so that that's actually a funny story because so basically, uh, I've lived in like multiple weird like flop houses kind of in my life, <laughs> and there was one point in my life where I just moved into this like garbage falling apart uh, flop house and. Um, I got pneumonia uh, from living like without heat. (laughs) And then my genius idea for how to get over pneumonia. Well, first of all, I actually passed out outside my house and my roommates had to like carry me inside. Jesus. And then I went to the doctor and they were like, you're dead. Like (laughs) you're basically not alive anymore. And they were like, you have so much fluid in your lungs that you can hear it. And I was like, oh, that's what that sound is. Because when I'd walk around, there'd be like sloshing. (laughs) Uh, 
So then I went, I went back to this place that really didn't have proper heat. And my genius idea was, well, if I have a little space heater and a humidifier on the table in front of me and I just stay on the couch and don't move and take my antibiotics, I'll get better. Um, <laughs> which I did, but it took me two months. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yep. Anyway, uh, right before I got sick, or maybe it was right around the time I got sick, uh, my roommate came home and he had an original Xbox and an Xbox 360. (laughs) And I don't know where he got them from, but he was like, oh, my friend uh, modded these for me. So both of them were modded to have these crazy like emulator libraries Uh on them. And they were, it was nuts. So like the, the Xbox had like XBMC. Yeah. Something like that. I don't remember, but it had like every, thing you could think of like every genesis game every super nintendo game so i would just go through and play old games but then one of them had like a bunch of like newer like more recent emulated games on it and uh yeah i played i played the silent hill 2 xbox version which had the extra stuff and it had the side story on it and stuff sick (laughs) (laughs) uh but uh i always thought just the the normal console version it still looks good. And like I said, it gives you a few options to kind of mess with how it looks. Um, I don't know. I, I I like to play the modded PC version, but I don't necessarily think it's like super crucial. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, just get it somewhere. Just get it somewhere. Just find I, it at the <laughs> pawn shop or something for your PlayStation 2. Oh, yeah. I think it, <laughs> in, so in terms of the gameplay, it's it's a mix of just standard survival horror stuff um with maybe a little bit more of an adventure game feel yeah well it's it's so it's more open-ended it's it's in terms of the game's flow it's linear but there's several parts where you you're basically free to run around and explore it's it's another i've said this before on this show and it's a theme with with certain horror games that it's not open world but it is open-ended right and it gives you enough you know slack on your leash that you can run around and explore and you can get lost i think that's a classic silent hill 2 experience is getting lost well it's not very hard (laughs) the fog is so thick sometimes you get lost like on a street corner so right and the map system is okay yeah i mean there's a lot of dead ends um Luckily, he annotates his map everywhere he goes to. So Mm -hmm. if you end up at a dead end, he actually draws it on the map. Yeah, and it marks locked doors and stuff like that. Yeah. So as easy as it is to get lost, you can always open up your map and kind of reorient yourself. There's just a lot of little quality of life stuff like that and the general openness that I think makes the game hold up really well. The combat is still very difficult to deal with, which is sort of the inverse of what we're talking about. Right. So, yeah, the combat is clunky. Um, it gives you some help, though, like as you as you uh, hopefully noted here uh, is the metal pipe OP, uh, which I responded with a rainbow colored. Yes, absolutely. So I mean, you get some decent weapons. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the biggest problem with everything in this game is probably the camera and the mm-hmm. combat the camera is always working against you. Uh, skipping ahead a bit, the last boss fight, I didn't even have the last boss on camera 90% of the time. I was just like shooting off screen. 
Because the cam- I was fighting the camera the entire time. Yeah. And the same with uh, another one of the boss fights. Uh, gosh, what's his name? Billy or whatever. Eddie. Yeah. The Eddie boss fight. It's so hard to actually see him. Right. So, you know, one big thing at the time that the game had was a free roaming camera that follows the character. And obviously this was really big in comparison to Resident Evil, which was still using fixed camera angles. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was a feature, but really it's a kind of a detriment. It's a very wacky camera. You can recenter it Zelda style. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're really fighting it and there's certain you can get into weird jams where you're trying to recenter it and it's just flipping around and just like whipping yeah. shitties around you. I mean, it's considerably considerably better than Silent Hill 1's camera. Right. Um and it also helps that you can disable tank controls in Silent Hill 2. That's the big thing. So that's the the big reason why I didn't have as much trouble with the camera is that you can do non-tank controls and they actually work really well. <laughs> For the most part, yeah. But you have to go into the settings. So this is, we talked about that in that Demon Daddies episode where it's like, you gotta dive into the settings with this game. This is a settings first <laughs> fucking game. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, for PC gamers, that's kind of sort of normal. But for the console gamers, just jump in the options menu. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you know, I was actually talking to Monica about that when we got our Switch, because uh, I was like, you don't always open the options in a game first. She was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> why? I don't know why I do that. But it's yeah, because I grew up. The first things I played were PC games. Yeah. Yeah. Every game I pop, uh, get, I pop open settings and just like set everything on ultra. Yeah. Because that's how I roll. I think that's a 90s PC gamer thing. Like if you grew up playing <laughs> PC games in the 90s, you 100% go options first. Yeah, I mean, I paid for that VRAM. I'm going to use it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's. A, I think that once you get everything set up, it's a noticeably less clunky experience than a lot of other games at yeah. the time. I mean, I'm playing through one right now on emulator and it's brutal. It's like night and day. Yeah, Silent Hill 1 is very rough. It, it's it's charming, but it's still very rough. Right. And I do think that the increased agility and movability of the character and the camera did contribute to certain things in the game that are really cool. Mm-hmm. There's certain big maze-like areas that don't feel tight and constricted or don't feel as confusing just because there's a little more space to play with. And there's mm-hmm. a little more freedom of movement. So, like, there's, um, uh, there's like the historical society. Yeah, it's a really cool level. There's like this kind of underground catacombs type area. That's, yeah, the labyrinth. Yep, the labyrinth. That's really cool. And yeah. when you compare the, that to Silent Hill One, there's no way they could have done it in that game. The atmosphere of the labyrinth is just really off-putting. Something about not having any windows and and the walls just painted in like a very 1970s, like mundane hospital style or something. It's very unexplainable. Right. There's there's something like off putting in the mundaneness of the labyrinth. Right. And, you know, this is a good place to talk about what I think is held up best in this game, which is Silent Hill 2 as a mood piece. Yeah. Atmosphere. It's 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 just pure smack in your vein atmosphere 
And and it's apparent from the first time you played it. I mean, obviously, we're speaking as people who've played this game many times before. I don't even know how many fucking times I've beaten this game. Like, I remember the very first time I played it. Like, you open it up, it's just gray and oppressive, and yeah. it's unnerving because you don't know what's going to happen. There's one kind of jump scare early on, but that's one of the very few in the game. And when you first get to the first indoor area, which is the apartment complex, Mm -hmm. it's suddenly pitch black. Yeah. And the lighting is totally different. The game has really good lighting, especially for the time. It's pretty striking. Um, I don't don't know if the PC mod took care of some of that, but it was really nice. It looks good. It's always looked good. The indoor flashlight lighting. I don't know if any game's done it better, if I'm being honest. Um, But it, it's so this sudden jarring shift and it just is so unnerving that like mm. you're just tense the whole time you're playing it because you're just waiting for something to happen. And maybe it never even does for you, depending on what scares you or, or what unnerves you. But you feel that tension and it never goes away because the game keeps throwing those jarring shifts at you. Mm-hmm. Well, and plus the sound design is pretty outstanding in terms of the incidental background sounds that always keep you on edge Mm -hmm. um you'll hear footsteps when nobody's walking Mm -hmm. um things like that it never lets you feel at ease right there's the the radio that spits out white noise whenever an enemy is near um yeah the music is once again it's incredible uh Obviously, for sort of like listening purposes, a lot of the more chill kind of Portishead trip hop pieces in the game, which uh-huh. I have aggressively ripped off, um, <laughs> are more fun to listen to. But there's a whole other side of the music, just like there is a Silent Hill. Uh, that's this harsh industrial grinding. Right. Um, it's like Lust Mord or something. Yeah. It's really extreme. Um and it's really, really cool. It's it's cool how everything in the game seems to fit with the the themes uh, of the game, which like the themes sure. and the mood are are just such the strength here. Um, another big theme in the game too. It just that sort of gray, isolating like malaise. Uh, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of discussion and writing about how. Silent Hill 2 just really seems to suggest this sort of like depression and isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the thing the game does best, I think. Sure. Well, so are the characters that we have, James and the incidental characters from the town that mm-hmm. I guess we'll talk about soon. Um, right. They're all sort of living in their own personal hells. Mm-hmm. Um, the way James experiences Silent Hill, it's it's inferred that the other characters are experiencing different versions of that. Right. Um, so for example, um, Angela, the first character you meet in the game, her personal hell looks more like, like this disgusting hellraisery flesh world because of her history. That's always on fire. Yeah. And, and it turns into like a house on fire. They even note it. Like James is like, wow, it's hot in here. And she's like, for me, it's always like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so crazy. Silent Hill 2 is just so much more ambitious than the first game. Mm-hmm. I think in the first game, there is a there is a concrete plot line. It doesn't really make any sense. It's basically cult stuff, summoning the devil <laughs> kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, 
Silent Hill 2 goes in the total opposite direction. That stuff doesn't even make an appearance in the game except for a couple of very, very small and subtle references. Mm -hmm. Instead, it just presents this cast of characters. And like you said, it slowly reveals slash suggests that they're all in their own personal hell based on things they've done or experienced in their own lives. It's also, once again, not a concrete plot line. It's the best part of the story and the plot, but it's never explicitly said. There's right. not a big reveal. A guy in a cape with long white hair doesn't say, like, you're in your own hell. Yeah. Like, Daphne doesn't come out and he explains. <laughs> right. And I really love that. And I think that's what a lot of players love about the story, you know, quote unquote, of this game is right. that aspect of it. Um, it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, maybe we should run down who some of the characters are. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in terms of timeline, you explore this town and you just end up walking into people essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you first, you meet Angela. Then after that, I believe you meet, is it Maria after that? Yes. Um, so you meet Maria, uh, in the park by, 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 uh, by the big lake, which I don't remember the name of Toluca Lake, uh, Toluca, of course, Toluca Lake, uh, Maria looks just like your dead wife, Mary with a different haircut and different style. Right. She's, she's like a more flirty version. Yeah. She likes to party. She listens to new metal. She's got, like, she's got a butterfly tattoo on her waist. Yeah. She has a new metal theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I don't think we can really talk about Maria without bringing up um, Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. Yep. And Maddie Ferguson. Because, you know, if you know Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer dies. Maddie Ferguson's her cousin shows up in town. It's the same actress with a different hairstyle and different personality. Right. Um, And I think we get a little bit of uh, Audrey Horn. With Maria, too, because she's kind of this, like, wistful, flirty, kind of in-her-own-world sort of attitude. Yeah, totally. Um, a, a bit detached. Yeah. Well, everyone's a bit detached in Silent Hill 2. Um, right. I, I think that's a direct reference to Twin Peaks. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you kind of referenced this earlier, but all the voice acting in the game, you could view it through two lenses. On the one mm-hmm. hand, it's bad. Yeah, And on the other hand, it's very surreal, stilted and dreamlike, which is they always talk past past each other like they're sort of addressing what the other said. But at the same time, they're on completely different wavelengths. Right. Which is 100 percent David Lynch. Oh, totally. Right. Just watch the Black Lodge scenes from Twin Peaks. Right. Well, I think one thing a lot of people forget because David Lynch is so ingrained in our culture now And he's so popular now that people forget the first time they saw a David Lynch movie. But it's like, try and reach (laughs) back in your memory to the first time you watch a David Lynch movie. And the first thing that jumped out at you probably was how weird the dialogue was (laughs) and how weird the performances are, even from actors who are in a ton of other shit like Laura Dern. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck, you know? So I think this game has that a lot. And once again, it's I mean, we just can't say if that's 
how it was meant to be or just like a, a <laughs> byproduct of, you know, osmosis or luck or something. But I think it really, really works. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope, you know, if it was a happy accident, you know, let it be a happy accident. But I think it works. Well, for sure. And it's like I we I said this in the chat. It's like just compare it to Resident Evil 1. It's like there's there's Resident no Evil compar- 1's just bad, bad. I mean, compared <laughs> to the Resident Evil remake, which is like right even that game which is a fucking masterpiece and is so so much better than the original the voice acting is still like you know it's not like this game (laughs) where there's there's something under the hood i can't say what it is or why it happened but it works i mean i i would say that the best part of the acting is probably um mary's monologue at the ending oh yeah uh, where she's just, it's, it seems like she's reading you a letter or something. That's like legit good. Yeah. Yeah, it's legit good. But um, the rest is legit um, strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so some of the other characters you meet in the game. Uh, there's Laura, who is a little girl, a very, very strange character. So, okay, uh, we forgot to mention about Maria is that um, she's most likely a figment of James's imagination. And I sort of got the same feeling with Laura. Right. Um, until she starts interacting with other characters, and that makes you realize that she's a real person. But, yeah, she acts very strangely and wistfully. Yeah, and she's kind of a bully. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's really strange. Um, there's Eddie, mm-hmm. who is kind of this weird man-child. He's really the oddball on the uh, cast. Yeah. Like, what the hell is Eddie doing here? <laughs> I mean, he's a fat guy. The first time you meet him, he's, like, throwing up on a toilet. Uh-huh. Um, he's, like, tormented because he was bullied he killed his bully's dog and he shot the bully. The bully's a football player. He shot the football player in the knee. And then I guess he went to Silent Hill after that. Um, yeah. He's like a teenage kind of runaway. Yeah. I mean, the second time you see him, he's like scarfing down a whole pizza by himself. In a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. Which is like super relatable. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I did that right before we started recording today. <laughs> I always just want to be alone in a dark bowling alley eating a pizza. Absolutely. It's my milieu. Yeah. He's, he's a strange character. He, uh, as you put in the notes, you do see his like personal hell. It looks like a meat locker. It's kind of dark and foggy. Mm -hmm. You don't get a lot of insight into him. Um, I think he's a good totem for what one of the good totems for really what doesn't work in the story Cause like, sure. The more you learn about him, the less interesting he is. Right. I think all, all, all the other characters, I mean, all the female characters, a lot more interesting than Eddie. Like, yeah, like I don't see really his purpose other than just being another character. I think in a, in a, in a, the earlier ideas of Eddie, he was supposed to be like a comic relief character. Uh, he's named after Eddie Murphy, Hmm. which I saw on Wikipedia somewhere. Not sure if true, but well, um, you can see that in his visual design and his weird voice. Not weird like all the other characters. Weird like he's... You could see that at some point in the revision he was more of a comic relief. Yeah, he's got a backwards cap. 
Yeah, his clothes don't fit. Like he looks like Rascal from PlayStation One. Yeah, dude, he does. <laughs> oh man, that's really funny. He's yeah, it's weird. He doesn't fit the tone. He doesn't fit the style. He's a strange character. Um, the one thing I I do like about him is I think it does evoke some pathos. Uh, just seeing him eat that pizza alone is really sad. And then <laughs> shortly after, you have to fucking kill him. Yeah, uh, I, I I mean, I guess that's his real purpose. James has to kill, like, another human being. Right. I like that aspect of it. Um, sure. I think that's a that's a good piece of plotting, but... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about in the, in the previous episode in Soma how death is so desensitized in video games, and a game like Soma makes death meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, really, Eddie's the only, like, other human in the game that you fight and you kill him and James feels really bad afterwards. Right. Even though Eddie kind of went off the deep end in the first place. Right. And I mean, that's a point I want to expound upon later. I don't want to sidetrack into it right now, but <laughs> I do think one, another strength of Silent Hill two, it's, it's good that you mentioned Soma. Cause I think that one of the strengths of it is it is basically the springboard for pretty much every like, alternative horror video gaming experience Mm. like anything that's not just an action game or just a standard you know adventure game pretty Mm -hmm. much all springboards off from this game right but there is one other character to discuss which i think will also lead us into some other discussions uh there's angela yeah angela is a really i mean she's a really interesting character her acting is super wooden. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think Silent Hill 2 would be the same without her. No, not at all. Her backstory is super dark, super heavy hitting. She was basically like abused by her dad and brother. Right. And so her her personal hell is this like fleshy, disgusting hallway. And you actually have to fight a representation of her bo- of her dad and kill her dad in this room this like fleshy room with like throbbing pistons in the walls and uh the the father boss is oh god what's its name something daddy abstract daddy abstract daddy which is essentially like a manifestation of like a bed frame with like two writhing creatures under it yeah and it attacks you with like a big vagina on its under on its underside Right, and it's a, it's it looks weird. It's like yeah. who did this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's not very subtle either. No, it's not uh, subtle at all. But I think it it makes the image really powerful. Right. Um, well, and and this is kind of I guess in transitioning to the next topic, which is you know the enemies and some of the plotting of the game. I also want to introduce something that I kind of lightly referenced earlier, which is my thesis about this game, which is that it's the Pinkerton of horror games. <laughs> you know, it's so it's essentially like a flawed classic or a problematic masterpiece. Sure. Um, it works on some levels and on others it doesn't. And we've been talking about the ways in which it does it does work. Like, you know, technically it holds up pretty well. Uh, Atmospherically, it's incredible. The references it made outside of video games and the way that it tried to expand the things that video games could pull from uh, is incredible. And 
there's just not a lot else like it out there, especially from that time. Yeah, I mean, this came out in what, 2001? 2001, yeah. Gosh, I mean, what else came out in 2001 that was anywhere like this? Yeah, nothing really. Um, However, uh, the actual story is garbage. And it's full of weird and poorly handled takes on things like abuse and uh, mental illness. And the big thing that hasn't held up well is that there's a ton of sexual themes in the game. Right. But they're not actually really explored. Like they sort of show up in these weird sort of tasteless flashes that. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, like the first time you meet pyramid head. Right. He's got like two monsters like over a kitchen counter and he's like fucking the shit out of them or something. <laughs> right. And it's completely unexplained. And it, 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 it kind of reminds me of that scene from blue velvet. Oh, right. <laughs> Where Agent Dale Cooper's hiding in the closet. Yeah, exactly. It's like these things are introduced, but then they aren't dealt with. They aren't explored. They aren't expounded upon. Um, Not that I feel like they need to be explained, because that's one of the strengths of the game is that it doesn't explain anything. But it is sort of like there are certain topics that once you introduce them, you have to do them justice. So Uh like we talked about, uh, you know, Previously with Outlast 2, I thought that when you start to introduce like childbirth and sexual assault and all these types of things into your game, it has to be dealt with. It can't just be used as like a shock stinger uh, because it's fucking tasteless. And it also devalues the game itself. Um, Unfortunately, in the case of Silent Hill, uh, there's a legion of yeah game faction plot editors who are really super drawn to the game's inclusion of these themes because they view it as like this sort of deep, like, uh, you know, you have to look, you know, beyond the veil to see what's really going on type of concept, um, which I think is stupid. (laughs) I I mean, it just comes off as like super tone deaf. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's like a translation thing or, um, all these men don't understand how to write this sort of thing because it's like 2001 in Japan. Yeah. Um, like, cause if I understand like team silence an all male organization, um, I believe so, or at least mostly. So yeah, it just comes off as tone deaf. Uh, I don't know the reasoning for why, but it just is right. But I mean, it's another thing too to go back to another theme of this episode, which is that games are a young medium. When you Mm -hmm. go back in time and look at things like this, you're going to see people reaching and grasping for something and failing. Uh, I feel like you know some of the other heavier themes that the game handles, like suicide, um, where the scene where Angela's suicidal and. James takes her knife. I think that's handled a lot better. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he tries to save her because, you know, he's like white savior or whatever. And it falls flat on his face. And she's actually like sort of like berating him a little bit before she finally does end her own life. Right. Like. So. I don't know. I think some of the heavier themes are handled a lot better than others. Well, it's, you know, it's a problem of knowing your strengths and knowing what stories yours to tell. I mean, 
True. trying to tell a story of a woman who is sexually assaulted from a male perspective and through the lens of being a male is a fool's errand. Um, right. Yeah. And it just results in shit like this. However, trying to tell something that's more universal or that is, you know, you know, works with your own perspective, like depression, suicide, things like that. Mm-hmm. You can do that. I mean, you can do that well and it'll feel authentic. I guess that's what I want to be clear that I'm not saying like people can and can't do certain things. Like it's just that when you do something, it feels authentic. It's like why there are shows that have all white writers rooms and have terrible black characters. It's not because a white person shouldn't be able to write a black character. It's just that if you're trying to tell a story that's specific to the experience of being black, it's not going to be authentic. It's just not going to happen for you, buddy. And I feel like there's a lot of moments in this game where it's like, it's not happening for you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also probably just their eyes being bigger than their stomach where it's like, we're going to tackle this and this and this, and we're going to have this and this and this. And it's like, you know, this would have been a better and a tighter experience if it didn't have this and this and this, but yeah. And I think it is appreciated for its audacity. And, and I definitely am not out here like cancel Silent Hill 2. I fucking love Silent Hill 2. <laughs> it's just like I said, I think it's it's a problematic classic. And I think that personally it's important to like interrogate that kind of stuff. And the reason that yeah. Pinkerton always comes up for me is not only from my own experience of like loving Pinkerton when I was a teenager. Um, it's also that I love the discourse around Pinkerton now. There's so many interesting articles and takes that people have written about where it's like Uh this is terrible but like i mean it's also kind of undeniable like it's good music but also like what the fuck you know (laughs) yeah and also i'd be more interested in talking about pinkerton's merit if weezer wasn't like just like shoveling garbage albums (laughs) out right now right it makes it a little bit easier to totally like diarrhea on whatever you want to from them yeah i think there was even a kickstarter to get like weezer to stop (laughs) i've never given to a kickstarter but i may have kicked a couple bucks into that one had i known i think it's important to keep these things in in the conversation and in our culture but to just be forthright about it and i guess like i haven't really seen people talking about this game in that way So Mm. something that interests me to talk about it now, you know? Yeah. I will say, though, that the basic concept of the enemies um, is actually very fascinating. And yeah, it's basically that in order to move in that direction of having Silent Hill be a personal hell rather Mm -hmm. than a sort of like uh, metaphysical otherworld Twin Peaks style, they have everybody see different enemies based on their own fears and hangups. So when when you're battling abstract daddy, it's sort of inferred that Angela is actually just seeing her father. Right. And like in James's experience, he sees Pyramid Head, who is right. this horrible, crazed murderer and, you know, sex fiend and whatever. But mm-hmm. all his secondary enemies that he sees, like they have weird sexualized quasi human forms. Almost all female, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, when when I booted up this game to play it with Monica, who had never played this game, the first enemy, the first thing she said was, look at that thing's ass. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's got kind of like a, it's it's got a little butt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like every enemy at least has some element of that. Well, that first, that first enemy, what is it called? The lying figure? 
Yeah. Um, it's like wrapped up. So it sort of looks like it's like behind a sheet, but it also sort of looks like bondage. And I think it has heels to you. Right. And it's got an ass. Yeah. So it's yeah. like Cronenberg sexual or something like horrific, horrific sexual. Right. And throughout the game, the, the enemies just become more and more sexual. So there's like the mannequins, mm-hmm. which which are just legs and asses. Right. And then there's the the nurses, probably the most famous enemy besides Pyramid Head from the Silent Hill series, which are just like mm-hmm. sexy nurses, except they're really gross and bloody and fucked up. Yeah. And, you know, the interpretation of this is that James had all these frustrations with his wife. So, like, the plot ultimately is revealed, like, whatever, this game's so old. There's no spoilers. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> it's revealed that basically James' wife was dying of an illness and uh he basically became more and more frustrated she became sicker and sicker the relationship totally deteriorated and then she's cruel in her final days towards james right and so ultimately he kind of like mercy kills her like at her request Mm -hmm. smothers her with a pillow but he has all this guilt because he also was frustrated. He was sexually frustrated. He was frustrated that she was being cruel to him, that the relationship had deteriorated. So he kills her for her, but also for himself and is then mm-hmm. plunged into this hell world. Right. And that's what I mean, I guess, of earlier when I said that the actual plot is garbage. That's just like not very interesting to me. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like I said earlier, the ending, the mo- ending monologue is it was interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I've never had to euthanize anyone, <laughs> so I can't really say what that situation's like. Right? Yeah, I like some of the elements of it. I just, I almost wish it had been a little more veiled. I feel that way about all the characters, though. Once you figure out that Angela was like a victim of abuse, and that Eddie just like killed this guy's dog and you know assaulted this guy or whatever it's just like i don't know it makes them less interesting to me Mm. and yeah i think that with james it's like you're supposed to feel that he's you know feel his guilt and you're supposed to feel that he's this kind of like maybe a bad person or whatever but Uh it still comes off as kind of like whiny that it's like (laughs) every like all the enemies are sexualized, so they're his sexual frustration. And so while his like wife was fucking dying, the main thing he was preoccupied with was that he wasn't getting laid and that she was mean to him. <laughs> it's like, bro, like, yeah, we're talking about life and death, like the permanent like erasure of your physical form and maybe everything else. And you're worried mm-hmm. that you weren't getting your dick sucked like <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like it makes him such a flat, boring character. And then it throws everything into the sharp relief of like, oh, well, maybe the dialogue is actually flat and boring. Maybe the concept is flat and boring. Like it, I don't actually feel that way, but it's like it's like when a band puts out an album that's so aggressively bad that it makes you go back and hate their older shit. Oh, my God. This is Silent Hill is just Weezer. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I'm freaking the fuck out, dude. Yeah, I mean, when you put it that way. That's what I mean. I don't mean that I think it's bad 
plotting. I think that when you put the themes and the plotting and the concept and the enemies and everything together, it's mm-hmm. less than the sum of its parts. <laughs> Maybe the novel adaptation is the ultimate version. Oh, God. That's probably bad. There, There is an official Japanese novel adaptation. Um, I heard it's good. Huh. I can't read Japanese, but... It's hard to say, though, because, like, there's so many different kinds. Like, there's, uh, you know, light novels and, mm-hmm. you know, they have so many different kinds of this, like, tie-in fictions in Japan that it's hard to say. Right. Because sometimes you'll find out, that, like, oh, there's a novel. That's kind of weird. But then you look into it, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like Subway reading trash. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, But I guess that's, like... I I mean, that's my gripe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, and, and that's sort of why, like, you know, I have a note in here that it works on a meta level, like as this mood piece about depression and isolation. It's mm-hmm. almost unparalleled. I mean, that's part of the reason I love Soma so much. I think it's one of the few games that actually gets at that same feeling. Mm hmm. But I think when you look at it on face, like I said, and you actually break it apart, it it doesn't hold up to scrutiny as well. I just keep thinking about the last boss. How, um, I don't know, it's just so bizarre how you, like, you're fighting your wife upside down in, like, a bed frame. <laughs> yeah. And then once she's finally dead... She's like laying on the ground and you have to shoot her one last time. Like they purposefully put you in the situation where you're like standing over her and you have to shoot her one last time. Right. It's just so weird and bizarre. I don't yeah. Know. Every boss battle in this game is fucking weird. Every boss battle in the entire Silent Hill series is weird and feels out of place. They throw you into these like tiny rooms, especially in Silent Hill 2. Like... Every boss is the same. You want to run to one corner of the room, you shoot it, and then you run to the other corner of the room and shoot it mm-hmm. and repeat ad nauseum. Right. And, like, while battling the camera the whole time. The, ba- the camera is the real boss. <laughs> That's the real survival horror. Oh, man. The real Silent Hill is, the, is trying to control the camera. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that in 3 and 4... I think it got both better and worse in the sense that there aren't really like boss encounters throughout the game like there are in this game, Mm -hmm. but like they have really goofy final bosses. Like, uh, I know three does for sure. Um, There's like that big kind of spidery looking thing that you just unload all your ammo into. (laughs) It's like um okay uh yeah it's that's another thing you go back to this game and there's moments where it's 2001 and it's like well we're making this game but also it needs bosses yeah that's another thing i i ended this game with so much ammo i had like 300 pistol rounds and like 100 shotgun shells yeah. It's because I use the metal pipe almost exclusively through the whole game. <laughs> the metal pipe is, is godly. The guns are not very good in this game. No. Well, maybe they are, and I just never used them. They're good in, in the real, like, tight corridor-type areas. 
Yeah. Um, if you don't want to get hit by enemies, they work really well in those environments. Everywhere else, uh, the pipe is better. I definitely survival horror the the limited item management. I don't think I used one of those help ampules. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm just drinking energy sodas. <laughs> yeah, the sodas are real. But I I think RE2 Remake just kind of like trained you to play these games like that. Um, yeah, I've kind of always played survival horror games like that where it's like use no items. Right. It's actually kind of funny that as I get older and I'm, I'm just sort of less, I'm a little more loosened up as a person. I notice that <laughs> I actually play these games a little bit looser. Yeah. Where I'll just use the ammo, but my first instinct is to literally like restart the game if I use all my ammo in the first 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's like classic survival horror shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is beat everything with a pipe. Yeah, this game too. I think it's interesting in how it breaks with survival horror tradition, though. I mean, I think it does give you more items on like the default difficulty setting. I feel um, like it does. Yeah, and it, it isn't as much of a, a survival game. I mean, overall, just the whole vibe of it feels more like an adventure game. The focus is on the atmosphere first and foremost second on exploration and story and then i don't know combat's kind of way down there yeah there's there's definitely more combat than i remembered yeah um i mean each time you go into a new hallway you just have to like kill three mannequins um but i don't know it was never like overwhelming or anything oh yeah for sure but i i think like i said earlier i actually really like that about the game um because it keeps you tense Mm -hmm. because you keep waiting for the next thing to happen you know you're not just fighting through waves of enemies you know um even when you are in little areas where you have to do some combat you're not just like constantly doing combat you're just in in a state of tension you know right things like that like putting the premium on, on exploration putting the premium on tension and atmosphere that's a big reason why like I said earlier, I think this is the origin point. This is like the seminal game for pretty much all like alt horror games. You know? Mm. It's like you can clearly look at Resident Evil and other, you know, big survival horror games from the era as like uh, you know, how to make a horror game that still has action elements and that still plays mostly like a normal, you know, adventure or action game. But you look at this game and it's so weird and extreme in so many ways, like the restricted color palette and how oppressive the atmosphere is and all that sort of stuff and how Mm -hmm. extreme the themes are. And it's easy to see how you get to the horror games of today, you know, or like the games we talked about a couple episodes ago where there's no combat and it's all about exploration. And it's like, that's a pretty extreme experience in terms of video games. Yeah, I mean, there were a whole lot of PS2 survival horror games after SHG dropped. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see though, like how little they drew from it, I think. And to me, it really feels like we're, we're feeling the influence now in the last five years. Yeah, I think it took some time to marinate. I, and I mean, the actionifying of horror games in the mid 2000s took away from that. Right. But I think people want um, like a more genuine experience, I think. Absolutely. And it was also just, you know, like I said earlier, I think the Silent Hill 2 is a little bit of magic in the sense that it came out at just the right time with the publisher had just enough confidence and resources to put into it everything came together and people were starved enough for games and this game was just playable enough compared to a normal survivor <laughs> horror game that like 
people were picking it up and it was a big deal and there was a conversation about it. And as much as I was dogging on the press and, and people for not reacting to this game or whatever in the way that, you know, my dumb pretentious ass thought they should have, like, <laughs> there was a lot of excitement about this game because there was nothing else like it. Sure. And that was palpable. Like, that was absolutely felt. That was felt with the first game, but I think even more with this because it really took everything from the first game and fully realized it. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why going back to the first one is a bit hard now. It's not just that, you know, the graphics look like ass and the controls and camera are terrible. It's that, like, certain things like the way Silent Hill looks, the music, all those sorts of things weren't really fully codified. I mean, and just the technical, logical jump between PS1 and PS2, really, like, you can flesh out a lot more ideas. Yeah, literally. Flesh it out. Flesh. Flesh. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I guess what's what's our, like, you know, what's our takeaway? Does Silent Hill 2 hold up? What do you think? Um, It holds up about as well thematically as, like, a deep 70s or 80s horror movie. I mean, if you're, if you're into the Cronenberg, David Lynch sort of thing, it's worth a play. Yeah. I mean, six hours or less, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Um, you can't fuck up too bad in the puzzles or item management. You could cruise through it pretty casually. Right. It's worth a play. Um, you also get some cool difficulty options. Like, you can between, like change the combat and the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So, you could do different playthroughs with different difficulty balances, which is really cool. Right. There's a couple of cute secret innings if you're into that. Oh, yeah. Or just watch them on the internet because they're cute. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too. Like I said, it's got problems. The more you think about it and break it down, it falls apart a little bit. And, you know, if you're not used to games this era, it may be a little bit frustrating. But ultimately, I think it's great. Um, as a mood piece, it's incredible. And I think even for all its problems and shit that I could dog on it for, it's worth keeping in the conversation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure. It's interesting too because I mean, it's something that the series never fully returned to. The style and the of the story and the overall structure, the series right. never came back to the style. It was a departure that kind of remained as like a cul-de-sac, which is strange because. It's so critically acclaimed, but they never tried to tackle the same thing again. Yeah. But it, it's also Konami, so they make um, real fucking dumb decisions. Dude, it's Pinkerton. Konami is Weezer. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a Fortnite island for Silent Hill soon. And it just plays uh, it just plays Africa, but like a weird like out of tune like high school band mm-hmm. version of Africa. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. But like Silent Hill Battle Royale though. <laughs> Silent Hill 99. Just dropping in Silent Hill with you and 99 of your best buds. Yeah, dude. Grabbing machine guns. <laughs> Flossing on the pyramid head. Yeah, the, the 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 circle of fog is encompassing you. There can be only one. You can just distantly see an avatar doing the shoot dance. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's about where this world is heading. We're definitely in the worst timeline. So, yeah. <laughs> speaking of, tune in next time for our Silent Hill the Arcade Light Gun Shooter. <laughs> oh man, 
Silent Hill the arcade is a great find on your part, dude. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird shit out there. Yeah, James found on YouTube. You can watch it. It's like a full playthrough of a Silent Hill light gun shooter called Silent Hill the arcade. Uh, it is hilarious. It's basically House of the Dead, but there's this kind of weird, like, jump scare mechanic that's really, mm-hmm. really bad. Um, yeah. And, like, uh, like where the camera will, like, pan around quick, unexpectedly at an enemy. <laughs> and then, like... Oh, man. House of the Dumb. House of the Dumb. Yeah, it's, it's also got this amazing dialogue that's, like, poorly translated and... It, they keep yelling, it's behind. <laughs> They're talking about that monster's ass. It's also like they keep yelling, like, get away and dang it. And at one point they combine it. it into dang, dang it, get away. <laughs> Which yeah. is absolutely what I would yell at a terrifying monster that was attacking me. Well, while I'm in Japan, I'm going to keep an eye out for the Silent Hill Pachinko machine. That's all the rage. <laughs> There's a crazy Metal Gear Solid 3 Pachinko machine that, like, yeah. has two hours of cutscenes and is apparently, like, really intense and hard. Might have to cancel a gig for that one. <laughs> <laughs>